You've tuned in to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 Minutes with Connor McCreary and Anthony Del Colle. Hello, friends. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Brian Humphrey. And you're listening to a special showcase episode of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes With. 20 Minutes With is a segment in which Dave and I have the great honor to share the microphone with some really, really cool people. And today, uh, it's kind of a foursome, which is pretty uh, pretty fun and exciting. Fun, exciting, kinky. Absolutely. It's all of those things. Yes. Um, and and uh, we're, we're really, we, we, I'm, I'm excited about this incredibly because we really are kind of breaking out of the genre zone that we've been in for the first 40 some odd episodes or so. Uh, but I got to tell you, Brian, I'm, I'm angry. You're angry. Why? I, I'm, I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to disappoint our listeners. Uh, I have failed you. The tradition of my usual stalkerish, this is your life introduction has been violated by our guest hosts for oh, this episode. Boy. I know, I know exactly. Now, Friends, Connor McCreary and Anthony Del Call are the evil geniuses of the remarkable and critically acclaimed Kill Shakespeare comic series that recently closed on its 12th and final issue. Uh, although it's fairly evident that this is only the beginning for these two troubadours of awesome. Now, I'll tell you what I can about them, but in spite of there being literally hundreds of interviews with them, Apparently, nobody ever thought to ask them about their life before Kill Shakespeare. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you that Connor was born in Montreal but raised in Thornhill, Ontario, and Anthony was born and raised in the small town of Porcupine, Ontario, which even in Canada must have led to some terrible puns that I will try desperately to avoid uh, <laughs> because we, we we don't want him getting all prickly as we needle him about his birthplace. Oh boy, here we go. Okay, oh. I guess I'm not going to try that hard. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. As soon as they were born, apparently they were both shunted into some subterranean cryogenic vat where their bodies were allowed to mature while their minds were jacked into the literary equivalent of Cerebro, filling their heads with dreams of glory and the very best genre fiction. Uh, apparently, they were only let out to attend the seventh grade together, uh, where they had an awesome teacher who arranged field trips to the Stratford Shakespeare Festival in Ontario and when Connor wrote a pen and paper mini-comic on wrestling. Um, but after that, it was back to the vat for them. Uh, and then we don't hear a thing about them until they're both attending business school. Now, friends, I know business school. Really? But before you hit the skip button, allow me to redeem them for you. Connor was a theater minor, yo. Oh and Anthony was a film minor. Now, Brian, is this not sounding like like the Brian and Dave show, only more awesome? Absolutely. This is the the quintessential formula for greatness. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. Um, so really, when you think about it, guys, all they were doing was arming themselves with the mad skills to carry out their destiny of the complete conquest and domination of all media empires. You really can't fault them for that. 
So we flash forward a few years. Connor has been freebasing the Stratford Shakespeare Festival for years uh, and working in both the creative and business sides of the film and television industries, including being a producer at Business News Network, writing countless media articles and stories. Anthony is a financial and marketing guru working in the music, television and film industries and has produced two independent feature films. Now, they've worked on a number of projects together. There was a neat kids show in the world of paper, rock, scissors. There was a comedy involving outsourcing, uh, a kitchen sink family drama, vampire epic. And then something happens. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe the architect injected code into the Matrix and it had to reboot or something. But suddenly Connor has chucked all of that and is working at the iconic Silver Snail comic shop in Toronto, which is one of the top comic shops in the world. Uh, uh, they're still friends, apparently, because they're sitting around one evening trying to come up with the next big video game, and an ad for Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill flashes on the TV screen. And being who they are, they start riffing on this and wondering if instead of killing David Carradine, they're actually trying to kill Bill Shakespeare. And, and Brian, I can see this moment when they, when they look at each other and they have this oh, yeah. brief flash of epic destiny with films and stage plays and video games, global accolades and staggering critical acclaim. Well, they were off. In April 2010, Kill Shakespeare hit the stands, published by IDW, and still firmly owned by the creators, which is beyond awesome. In its 12-issue run, comic nerds and Shakespeare nerds found a common ground, and those global accolades began coming in, as the story and its lush graphic execution at the hands of artist Andy Bellinger began to catch people's imaginations. The New York Times, Fangoria, NPR, CBS News, and Wired Magazine all came out in praise and wonder of Kill Shakespeare. And that stage play? Yeah, it's touring. Uh, and the feature film? Yeah, that's in pre-production. The video game? Yeah, that's in development right now. Uh, Brian, I, I really think we need to consider ourselves damned lucky to catch these astonishing gentlemen early in the arc of their career that will doubtless see them shining in the firmament of geekish glory. Now, the only obscure tidbit I can offer, friends, is that if you ever find them on a desert island together... Anthony will be reading Don Quixote and Connor will be flipping the pages on One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. I know, lame. That's 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 so lame. But that's the best I got. I blame <laughs> I blame the comic industry journalists for not delving deeper. So dear friends, please welcome to the big fluffy chairs at the Roundtable podcast. Anthony Del Call and Connor McCreary. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking time from what I can only yes, assume yes. is a staggering schedule and taking the time to join us and share some of your thoughts. We really appreciate it. Wow, that's uh, other than the uh, the puns uh, about <laughs> Porcupine, Ontario, my hometown. I mean, that might be the greatest introduction uh, ever co ever co conceived. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm that's it's quite humbling. Wow. Any any egregious errors that need to be addressed or corrected? Uh all of it. We did none of this. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> Connor, can you I, I don't know, guys. I, I kind of felt in that intro you could have stuck it to Anthony a little more. Ah, ah. Yeah, well, you know, I, I put you guys in a subterranean cryo vat. I thought that was, you know, that could be fun. Yeah, but I mean, you know, from porcupine. Huh. <laughs> 
Well, we're 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 about building people up around here, Connor. We don't we don't we don't try and tear them down too bad. Um, but look, gentlemen, let's uh, let's not mince any words. I want to get down to our twenty minutes with Connor McCreary and Anthony Del Call. So I'm gonna I'm gonna set the timer here. Um, I'm betting we're gonna ignore it because we always do. Um, but we'll roll forward anyway. And I gotta ask. I, this is not specifically a craft question, but maybe it is. Um, what the hell happened between uh, 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 managing big time pop stars and and being network news media guy and working at the Silver Snail? What 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 life change transformed your career path? Because and here's where I get to show off my Breaking Bad vocabulary. You guys were pulling down mad stacks of cheddar, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think you greatly, greatly uh, uh, exaggerate the earning potential of working in Canadian media. Ah, well, okay, I, I'll, I'll, I'll own that. I'll own that. But, but there must have been something that that that, that changed in your lives that made you reshift and realign that way. What happened? Well, actually, for me, I went the other way. I, I worked in film and TV for a while, and then I, I worked at the Snail uh, because Anthony and I had developed this this really fun series called Global Rock Paper Scissors. It was sort of a <laughs> Pokemon meets, you know, Scooby-Doo, uh, set in the near future where rock, paper, scissors is, of course, the world's most followed and tracked game. And uh, so, yeah, we developed the series, we, we optioned it, and that's actually when I started to work at The Snail, because I was convinced that at any moment, this was going into full top gear, and, you know, I couldn't have a career job, I needed to be, you know, I needed to be able to just blow it on that wind and go where it took me. Uh, and where it took me was mostly putting comics away for a couple of years until... Uh, Anthony and I realized that the people we were working with, they just, uh, you know, they were a great company, but it just wasn't going to work developing the series with them. And actually, so I left the Silver Snail. I managed it for one day and one day only. And then the next day, Business News Network came calling uh, and I left to become, yeah, to become a producer of uh, television there. So I was a one day manager. Percent discount. What about you, Anthony? Awesome. Well, I just want to add that that one day, I think the Silver Snail had its greatest sales of all time. See? I'm sure. Is, isn't that the case, Connor? Uh, actually, it was a fire started in the lunchroom, but it was very close in terms of prestige. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it might not have been, from a business perspective, it may not have been the best day, but from an infamy standpoint, it was the best day. Sure, media, the media. insurance claim we were able to make on the crappy stock that we had in that lunchroom? <laughs> you did them That's a favor. That's why I to keep my discount. <laughs> Smartest manager ever. Damn. It's fire burns all. <laughs> there we go. That's the takeaway for this episode, kids. Fire burns um, all. What about you, Anthony? Uh, no, I mean for myself, as as you were saying, I mean I was uh, I was on a management team where we represented uh, and managed a lot of top uh, pop uh, musicians. You know, Nelly Furtado being the biggest one, uh, and it was great. I had a you know I was having a fantastic time, um, but I was managing other people. I was managing other artists and other creators, and uh, you know, Connor and I had this great idea called, you know, of course, Kill Shakespeare. Um, and it was time for me just to get back uh, on working on my own stuff, as opposed to helping others, other creators uh, have their products or their projects released and having them succeed. I wanted to see, uh, succeed for myself or succeed with Connor. So that that was the major impetus behind uh, leaving. Uh, the fame and fortune of the music world to uh, to delve into the infamy and near poverty levels of comic books. <laughs> Outstanding. Outstanding. I want to jump right into to uh, Kill Shakespeare. And um, <clears throat> one of the, the things that I know that Dave and I both really want to know about is, 
you've taken some characters from literature that most everybody and you've you've changed them a little bit and adapted them for your story, but keeping their basic essence. And it's almost like an alt history. It's sort of an alt literature. I know that a lot of our listeners and a lot of the writers that we bring on that pitch their stories have, have done kind of a similar thing where they want to work with historical or, or likewise um, characters and, and work them into, the, into their stories. Can you share with them some of the discoveries that you've made in translating Hamlet or Lady Macbeth into a story that they were never originally intended to be? And what suggestions might you have for some of the writers that are contemplating the same thing? Dealing with dealing with Shakespeare and all of his characters, I mean, the biggest thing for me that's really come out is, um, you know, I mean, as as we worked on as we worked on the comic series and then on the feature film and the stage production, and all of that. I mean, the thing, the great thing about, uh, or the thing that we've learned the most is, I mean, characters like Hamlet or Lady Macbeth or all these others. I mean, we seem to find more and more things about them. I mean, we've been working with Hamlet now for four years maybe uh, and I mean there's still stuff there's still new discoveries that we're learning about the character you know we're going back and we're reanalyzing uh, and studying the play Hamlet again you know we, we did that when we originally wrote the comic we did that when we worked on the stage play now that we're working on the screenplay we're doing the same thing and just realizing all the depth to all of these characters uh, that Shakespeare created um, sure. but no I mean that, that that's one thing but I mean the key thing is just as you said I mean we kind of we're, we focused on just discovering the essence of those characters like who were they at their core uh, and then growing from there and uh, the key thing when you're when you create a historical fiction or literary mashups or anything like that is you need to stay true to who the or stay true to what the essence of those characters are because if you don't if you just create surface interpretations or surface versions of those characters then the the, the original fans uh, of those characters will just kind of disregard it they'll be like oh they don't know what they're doing Connor, what do you say? Well, I think, you know, what Anthony said there, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, one of the things I would say is, you know, definitely do it. Um, right. One of the fun things we got, we uh, we had a, our first trade, we had the introduction was done for us by a, a well-known Canadian uh, comic celebrity, and he talked about how uh, Darwin Cook, uh, who does uh, the Parker books and also did, uh, I mean, I'm not sure how your audience, how well they know their comics, but Darwin Cook is one of the, one of the real heavy hitters in our industry. And he talked about how if you're ever afraid to go to a party, you should always make sure to invite your famous friend along so that, you know, people know who you are. <laughs> and he said, these guys have done, you know, they've invited the most famous friends they possibly could by bringing Hamlet and Juliet and Romeo into the room. And so it definitely, it definitely helps as a way to get people to pay attention to your work. And I think how Anthony was talking uh, about the essence of the character is then the key to make them actually see your work, which is, is to show that you respect these characters and that you love them but that you've also got your own, you know, your own sense. And I think I'm, I'm a big fan of, of, of any sort of creator. You know, I think Shakespeare is a great humanist. I like Stanley Kubrick because I, I interpret his stuff as very humanist. And I think, yeah, you, you take a look at these characters, you find out what makes them compelling to you, and then I think you ask what-if questions, you know. And I so there's an old comic series called What If Comics that would take key moments in, in comics history you know, and say, well, what if, what if, what if Spider-Man saved Gwen Stacy and she never died? Oh, and then God, they would I remember those. Those were awesome. <laughs> yeah. For, for me, a lot of Kill Shakespeare was playing this game of what if. What if Hamlet never gets back to Denmark? Is he a bloody-minded character, you know, by nature? Or was he made bloody-minded by the circumstances of the play Hamlet? Like, why is it a tragedy? And I think that's what you can do with almost any... You know, I think there's a lot more uh, affection and understanding for literary mashups, and people look at it as a lot more than just fan fiction or, oh, you don't have your own idea. 
I think sometimes you can show how rich your imagination is by building out an already rich world into ways that are new, surprising, but also feel true and kind of familiar. And we're in the process right now, we're getting a bunch of university professors to go through Kill Shakespeare and talk about where we've actually pulled Shakespearean references out of. And it's amazing to see them, you know, kind of gush about what they love about the series because it does things <laughs> that feel faithful to them, even though they're totally, you know, off book, so to speak. So, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, like Anthony said, you know, you got to be faithful to the essence. And then I say ask some what-if questions and don't be afraid of following your imagination. You know, trust your instincts. Outstanding. Sure. Excellent. There's some good mojo there. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Connor McCreary and Anthony Del Cole after this brief promotional break. Welcome to Reader Writer. My name is Ben Delano. And I'm Mary Ellen Warren. Hi, Mom. What is Reader Writer about? It's about reading. I find it really difficult to do actual, you know, tree killers. Yeah. Well, okay. It's about audiobooks. The enjoyment of a book is so subjective, isn't mm-hmm. it? The different format you're listening to or watching or reading. Actually, it's about any written media. This movie is essentially you can break it down into three one-hour-long TV episodes. And sometimes how it's written. Watching that and realizing that really made me think about how you construct a story. I get a total different perspective from it, and I think that's one of the huge differences between reader-writer. Or breaking it apart in details. Oh, you're so anal, Ben. <laughs> when you're writing, you do actually start to think of these people as being alive, and you don't want to do anything mean to them. Visit readerwriter.ca or find us on iTunes. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Connor McCreary and Anthony Del Cole. One of the other things that, that is so intriguing for, for Brian and I in terms of this process that you've evolved and, and this creation that you have spawned, if I may use that word. Um, <laughs> no, here we go. Here it comes. Here we go. Here we go. Brian's the expert at that. <laughs> Brian is our, our resident spawner, yes. Um, is, uh, I, I've got a personal love for collaborative writing uh, and, and the notion of multiple writers getting together uh, to create a single creative work is, is I, I think it's a challenge for, for nearly everyone. Uh, but by the same token, I mean, there's, there's got to be an exponential boost to the creative output for everybody involved. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to, to share with our listeners uh, some of the, uh, the qualities and, and processes that you both worked out to make that work and, and any guidelines you'd have on, on how they can make that work for them uh, so they can enjoy the, the fruits of that particular exploration as, as well. Connor, we'll start with you, sir. It's all about rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> Is that it? It's all about rock, paper, scissors. You have to have your tie-breaking mechanism when, uh, you know, when you, uh, when you, when you've just reached a dead end. No, I, it's great. I mean, it, it's working with somebody else is one of the great opportunities because it allows you to go beyond what you can do yourself. Um, and I think there's, there's a lot to be said for, for creating on your own. And I would never say not to do that. Um, you know, cause that's a different sense of satisfaction, but you bring an ability to challenge your work. Uh, you know, we are just in the process actually of, of, uh, a second series, uh, called tide of blood that that's coming out. We'll talk, we'll, we'll tell you a little bit more about it, but, uh, Anthony has, written this fantastic second issue for that series and i you know this kind of shows our, our process is we, we brainstorm the ideas together uh and then one of us sort of takes lead on any given issue and the other guy sort of plays more of a story editor role uh and it was great i was going through this lettering script and, and you know putting in my little thoughts and i was really struck it was great to sit there and read his work 
and sit there and go, God, like he really constructed that scene like really well. Like I never would have thought to do it like that. And I think that gives your work a richness. I think, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, I would have done it differently. And it may have been, you know, it's not whether it would be better or worse, but it's that richness of different ideas. And I think Anthony and I are very lucky in that we have, you know, we certainly have, we butt heads over things, you know, that, that's part of the creative process. But I think we have at the root, we've got, we've got a very similar ideas of like what we think works in terms of character and emotion. You know, we have different paths sometimes as how to get there. But like reading the second issue, there was just a couple of moments with Romeo and Juliet, and I don't want to give too much away, that like I had to stop, I had to like get up from the computer and go, wow, like that was really touchingly done. And oh, it's wow. great to, to get surprised that way, even though we worked on it together to just see it like that. I, I think that's a it's a real rare gift to get to work some with someone who's talented like that. That's awesome. And uh, Anthony, what about you, sir? I feel like you guys are all setting me up for the fall here. I mean, you're doing nothing but praise me. Um, <laughs> issue number two, praise me in your introduction in the This Is Your Life segment, uh, with the exception, of course, the prickly behavior from Porcupine. Um, <laughs> but you so can also you... ask why, of course, it's a magic quill, a guy from Porcupine. Magic oh, quill, dude. On the nose. Oh, yes. Damn, didn't there even go. go there. See, collaborative writing at work. <laughs> So I feel like I'm being set up for the fall here. Uh, no, I mean, uh, well, one of the great things about working on Kill Shakespeare and working with a lot of the stuff I've done over my career is is the um, is to be able to work with other people. Um, and that collaborative nature of storytelling, I think, is fantastic. Uh, I mean, I do want to put out a big plug here for Andy Belanger, uh, who is our artist uh, in the series. And, uh, art, you know, Andy, you know, Connor and I are technically the, the two co-creators of Kill Shakespeare, but Andy is just, he's done as much, if not more, in the series as we have. Uh, I mean, in fact, he's done more research about um, the times and the characters and, you know, um, the looks and everything like that than we, you know, than we ever could dream of doing. Um, and I mean, it's just the, 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 like that collaborative nature where you kind of bring the, you know, the, the yang to the other person's yang, uh, which really helps out. And yeah, I mean, uh, and for, you know, I, I often use the example and I mean, this is sometimes the case, but not always the case. I mean, you know, sometimes uh, like Connor's, the, like Connor's uh, an exceptional master when it comes to dialogue. I mean, he blows me away in the dialogue world. Um, but, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, say in terms of story structure or something like that, like that might be in some scenes or in some issues, I mean, that might be my, you know, that might, that might be my strong point. So we kind of, uh, we kind of play off each other that way. Uh, and it makes, the, it makes the story that much better. Um, you know, and that's, and then of course, and then we bring everything to Andy and Andy just intensifies the, the, the quality of everything because of the research that he's done, because of his skills. Uh, and Andy himself is a fantastic storyteller. Uh, and he know Andy has far more experience in the comics world. So Connor and I will write a script, and we'll hand it over to him and be like, "Okay, I like that, but guys, that doesn't work that well in a comic book. So what if we tried this or this?" And then we go, "Oh yeah, that's amazing. We wouldn't even have thought of that." <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean that, that's that's the fantastic thing about working with Connor and working with Andy and the rest of our team as well. Even the colors we have on our new on our new Kill Shakespeare: The Tide of Blood series. I mean, she added a whole new element to issue number two that we we hadn't even thought of in terms of the colors. Uh, and the way everything looks in that particular issue. Um, so yeah, I mean, it just it just makes the, you know, I really think it makes the story that much that much stronger. Uh, did you guys ever run into a situation where you both felt so passionate about an idea that was in conflict with the other that that paper rock scissors just wouldn't handle it? 
our, our lawyers have told us not to comment on that. <laughs> very good. Very good. That's, we, that's actually why we can't do a video Skype call. Ah, gotcha. You're not allowed to be in the same room together? Is that it? No, no it's, I just, had, it's just the burn marks on my face. <laughs> God. I had Connor committed, so he's in an asylum right now. Oh. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. I had, him, I had him certified as insane because of some of the ideas he had come up with. So. <laughs> well, there you go, friends. That, that, <laughs> that's, that's the best way to handle this. Have your writing partner committed to an asylum. Congratulations. Uh, it's, actually, I mean, it's really quite nice. They serve pig frames. Ooh, dude. Really? You didn't tell me that. So you got to well, email. You wouldn't have committed me here if I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, I know. I'm, I, I, I see again. Andy's the one that's the master tune research, so I should have gotten him to look into the asylums for you. There you go. There you go. Um, no, I mean, uh, Connor. I always like to use example of uh, issue number one, or sorry, first chapter in our first book, uh, is an example where I mean, it's not to the point where we went where we uh, came to blows or anything, but uh, we had a we had written like a fantastic three page scene where uh, Hamlet's on the deck of the ship. Uh, they're on the, the you know the ship is bound for England. Uh, his two friends, Rosa Katz and Gilmstern, are there, and they're talking about uh, what should they do? Uh, should they turn around and go back to Denmark? Should they stay on the boat? Uh, you know, Hamlet's unsure about whether he should really seek revenge for his father's death. Uh, you know, it was a really nice, touching scene between the three of them. Uh, we when we passed it over to Andy, he read it, and this is an example of well. You know, guys, this is great, but it's just three. It's three talking heads. I'm, it's going to be boring, and it's you know the page nine, ten, eleven or so of our first issue. It's going to make people fall asleep. Uh, I think we need to do something else. So he created these really, really interesting uh, statues that are coming out of the water. Statues of his father. Um, so it's you know it's very symbolic. This is what's going through Hamlet's head at the time. Um, and so Andy kind of, he, he put this together, he sketched it out for us, he, he sent it to us, and then one of us said, well, yeah, that's kind of interesting, I don't know if it's exactly what we were looking for, it's kind of interesting, the other person said, I don't like it, I don't, I don't like it, it's too fantastical, it's too weird, it's too out there, Let, can you just stick to the script? Uh, and we kind of went back and forth, back and forth on it, and then uh, we said, okay, well, Andy, how about this, you try, you know, do, go to the next stage, do the pencils, we'll see if we like it then, if not, then... You know, we'll ask you to redraw it, but we can we can make a decision then. And then when that came in, one of us said, "Oh yeah, you know what? I I think I can see it." And the other person said, "No, I still don't like it." But you know, because it was two to one, it was kind of that voting type of procedure that we kind of went with it. Okay, okay. So it's just right. in service to the story at all times. Well, first of all, it's in service to my ego. Ah, uh, right, secondly, right, story. right. So. Sorry, God. <laughs> see, and I even got the email about that. So right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> To kind of follow exactly what you're talking about in a piece like this with such sweeping settings, I mean, you have you have so many different things to choose from and character motivations where every character in Shakespeare is so brilliantly drawn. What is your process as far as pre-mapping the storyline? How much of the story do you know before you begin? Do you know what you want to have happen in your final episode before you wrote the first issue or do you allow more for discovery? How do you approach that? It's a, probably a bit of a combination of the two. I mean, we we definitely had mapped out uh, before we started issue by issue what we thought was going to happen. Uh, and it, what we ended up writing ended up being pretty similar to that. But by the same token, we also left ourselves room to have the telling of the story dictate the story. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, I, I definitely believe you have to know where you're going. You have to think, you, you know, you have to know what's going on. But by the same token, I think the only way the only way stories get told is by writing them. And as you write them, right. 
that's going to you know that's going to inform how the story changes. It's going to sometimes help fix some problems. Sometimes it's going to create new problems, and you know, and that's why you rewrite and you rewrite. So yeah, we definitely knew where we were going. We knew what we wanted to tell, but we trusted the process so that if that actually changed on the way, then that was fine. And in the for the first series, I wouldn't say there was a massive departure, but I would say with like Tide of Blood, um, while it's it it looks pretty close to sort of the original documents I'm looking at, you know, that I had sketched out, and you know, and Anthony and I were working on together, it it doesn't it doesn't fit as closely as the first one did. But I think there's some really interesting stuff going on, and part of that is you know Anthony wrote the second and third issues and made some really cool choices that you know have me going, okay, wow, hey, that opens it up in a different way that I never even thought of. Hey, what if we try it this way? And and I think it's cool. I, I think that balance is is important to have for me at least. Sure, Anthony. Uh, well, we have about fourteen other questions. So I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I, I would basically I would basically be repeating what everything Connor said. Yeah. Okay. I concur. <laughs> I concur. I agree. Um, well, and and there's no way we're going to get to those 14 questions in the 30 seconds that we have left. But you know what? We've always kind of scorned the clock. Uh, it's a love-hate relationship. So I'm going to throw in one more question. Uh, uh, and uh, basically, gentlemen, what I'd like to hear from you is what do you feel uh, uh, your greatest strength is as a storyteller? And what do you do to foster and affirm uh, that 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 strength or skill or talent or whatever, uh, uh, Anthony. What do you, what do you, what is your what do you what do you feel your greatest skill is? Greatest skill as a storyteller. Uh, it's wow. It's a really good question. Um, I think I'm. I I'd like to think I'm fairly strong on overall story structure. Um, you know, again, I, I'm the I'm the type of creator uh, in comics or anything else where I like to know what the beginning, the middle, and the end is before I start. Um, okay. You know, I mean, that's something I follow from, you know, even I have got the, the, the rules, the story rules from Pixar animation up on my wall here that I'm staring at. <laughs> yes. I, you know, and one of their very first things is, you know, you have to know, <clears throat> you have to, you know, uh, you have to know exactly what's, uh, what's going to happen at the end because you'll never know how to get there if you don't know where you're going. Um, so, yeah, no, in terms of story structure, uh, you know, what, ha- what, ha- what, what happens at the beginning, the middle, and the end, and the overall character arc, uh, I, think that's, I think those are generally my, my strengths. And how do, you, how do you affirm those? How do you, how do you make them stronger? If, if, those, if those are your gifts, uh, what are you doing to keep them sharp? Um, consuming as much entertainment or as many that's, other stories as possible. There you uh, go. Yeah, no, I know. That's absolutely what it is. I mean, whether it's uh, feature films, whether it's comic books, whether it's uh, uh, literature, uh, you know, television, whatever, you know, examine all that. Uh, and over the last few months, especially as we're working on the screenplay, for example, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm watching as many um, similar films, similar, similar stories in the fantasy realm, uh, you know, hero's journey stuff. Um, you know what? Uh, you know what, what, what? Where's the turning point? What, what's the midpoint in every story? Those sorts of things to really just hone hone in on that, so we can make our our feature film screenplay as strong as possible. Awesome, very cool, Connor. What about you? Greatest strength, and what are you doing to to, to back it up? Uh, I think my greatest strength is probably I like to think I'm pretty good at digging deep into into character and asking questions, and you know, like. And not just okay. Well, so and so is obsessed. Okay. Well, why are they obsessed? They're obsessed for this reason. Well, you know, and what and what does that reason mean to them? And trying to dig as, as deeply as I can into uh, psychology because you know I think people are very complex. I think we often make decisions that we're not even necessarily consciously aware of why we make them. Uh, and those are the kind of characters I like. So I think I do a pretty good job uh, of coming up with, with compelling characters that 
have a lot of different reasons for what they're for what they're doing uh, and trying to then make that into a compelling thrust for that character and i guess part of that you know part of it's like anthony says it's you know it's uh consuming media i'm often uh you know watching stuff on my tablet my wife's asleep beside me at night trying to pick in things um and i also <laughs> think it's i think it's you know it's just having curiosity i think one of the jobs of for for, for writers is to ask questions and to watch people and to try to figure out why people tick and why you know you know the kind of the big existential stuff and that's why i do like the shakespeare's of the world and i like the stanley kubrick's and i think the real the real heavyweights are the people who ask those unasked unanswerable questions but do so in a way that has a lot of uh action i don't necessarily mean you know uh, like an action movie action but that you have a sense of kinetic energy and that the story is going someplace and it's not it's not just existential but it's a lot more than surface uh and those are the stories i like best outstanding very cool gentlemen uh as Brian mentioned, we, we've got a whole page of, of questions. We knew we would never get to them. The time speed round, <laughs> speed round. Here we go, go. <laughs> now the, the 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 clock has has basically uh, married its sister and and gone off and killed its mother's uh, confidant and has fled onto a ship with a death order. So we kind of have to stop at this point. And, and, Ooh, I, and like, I like that. That could be a good story. Uh, yeah, we could run with that. Absolutely. But well, did it make somebody's children? into a pie and then <laughs> exactly cut off their hands and make them right with their tongue yes all of that stuff ser- i don't think it, i don't think the clock's serious until it does that yeah it, it, it really is a show of commitment when it does and uh it hasn't yet thank god um and because uh, our cats would be running scared at that point uh gentlemen <laughs> gentlemen thank you so much this has been a genuine delight, and we so very much appreciate you taking the time for sharing so generously. It's it's been a blast. Yeah, well, thank you very much for having us on. This is this has been fantastic. I'm sorry that we didn't get to the other uh, fourteen or thirteen or fourteen questions. Well, we'll have you back. We'll have you back. We'll I just it. hope this yeah. spawns a sequel. Spawns a sequel. There we go. <laughs> With the magic quill. Oh God, Brian! What are you taking away from this episode, my friend? What what jumped out into your head? Um, that uh, when you collaborate, you just you have to have a really good partner, and you have to have a, a kind of a symbiotic relationship. And I'm just glad that these guys found that because I love what they've created. <laughs> I know, I know, me too. Um, for me, it was Anthony's comment about delving into the true essence of of a character, a, a known yes. character. Yeah. Um, and, and because that, that resonates so much just in terms of any of the characters, I think Connor picked it up later on talking about character development is understanding to the core, to the bone, to the cellular level, who these people are and, and what they represent to you, uh, in the context of the story you're trying to tell. And that, that, I I don't think that can be said enough. Uh, so outstanding. Outstanding. Friends, thank you, as always, for hitting that play button. You complete the cycle for us, as always, and we deeply appreciate it. Uh, uh, if, you, if you're feeling the, the the creative froth dancing about in your head, as I know it is, uh, uh, please feel free to pay it forward and spread the word about the roundtable. Um, there's iTunes, of course. A rating or a review is always welcome there. Uh, uh, drop us a line at the table at Roundtable Podcast. Many of you have roundtablepodcast.com, of course. Uh, uh, many of you have, and it's 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 a constant infusion of oh wow, we got to keep doing this. Uh, Brian and I appreciate that greatly. If you're bloggers, blog about us. If you comment on blogs, you know, hey, by the way, there's a great roundtable podcast thing. Throw in a link. We're not against that. Absolutely. Now, 
you've heard how Connor and Anthony go about their story process. In a couple of days, dear friends, we're going to have them back and we are going to dive in to an actual story. We're going to see that process in action and it is going to be epic badassery. Uh, I, I've developed precognitive powers. I can always already tell you it's, it's going to be fabulous. So please do mark us on your calendars and come back uh, or subscribe or however you want to stay tuned into the round table but between now and then brian they got a couple days what do you think man uh what, what what should they be doing in in the time between now and then my advice would be go forth and scribbleth upon thy parchment <laughs> go forth <laughs> and scribbleth upon thy, which translated from the native shakespeareanese is go, go spawn something. right go spawn something go right yes absolutely uh, and dear friends, I will tell you that you find what you're looking for. It happens time and time again. So set your sights high. Look for the top shelf goodness. Seek it out, and I promise you will find it. It is out there for you. We will see you in just a couple of days. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frosty, be awesome, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast, or you can send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.